Welcome to Travel Talk with T. In this time of disconnection, we at PredictX want to stay as connected as possible. That is why we are inviting key innovators from the business travel industry to have virtual tea with us and share what they've been up to while the travel industry recovers. This week, I'm so pleased to interview one of my dear friends, a true character and industry innovator, Kurt Eckert, CEO and president of CWT. We will be discussing how CWT is reinventing themselves, preparing their customers for the recovery and the new normal. Kurt, thank you so much for joining, you know, our travel tea time. We're excited to have somebody of your caliber join us. Um, it's really an honor. Um, of course, I've known you for quite a while and have had the privilege and the honor of working for you at Travelport um, and know what an incredible executive you are. So it is truly my honor to have you here joining us. It's my privilege, Maria, and I, uh, I love being with friends. So thank you. So... As you know, I'm quite the tea drinker. This is tea time. And I um, wanted to see what you're drinking and also your the, the cup of choice that you're using. So I've, of course, Maria, being unconventional, I've gone off menu. And since <laughs> I'm at the big house, I don't have my normal cadre of coffee cups, but I did, I did prepare two different drinks for you. Okay. One is my staple during the workday, is the oh. institution of Diet Coke. <laughs> now, it's only lunchtime here in Stone Harbor, New Jersey, um, but I also thought I'd bring in a Belgian treat, <laughs> and we'll taste test this as well. And it's quite good. I will, um, I'll refrain from drinking too much of it because I might not behave as professionally, but, um, but those are two of my favorites right there. Well, I did bring, uh, because you were at the beach, um, this teacup that I got at the beach and it has the oysters around it and it says, um, your life is your oyster. So That's pretty cool. I like that. I that one in honor of you because you're at your, your beautiful beach house today. So, so let's talk about your career for a moment. I've always been in awe of your career. You know, you start off, you know, and of course it's in my heart as a military brat myself, um, in the military. And then you, have just this amazing, not surprising um, journey through GDS Airlines and TMC and every facet of the industry as well as every vertical, you know, uh, financial background, a chief commercial officer and CEO. Can you talk to me about your career and, you know, what, what made that journey what it is today, which, you know, again, unheard of. You know, I've had the privilege over the last, I guess, 18, 19 years of going through a series of different operating roles um, in orbits, uh, GTA, Travelport, for the last four and a half years at CWT. And what the disease I have or what attracted me to these organizations and these roles was the opportunity, again, to drive impact and to do something that was very challenging. I, I almost never went into a steady state organization or steady state role. Um, it was one that was ripe for change and, and ripe for re-engineering. Um, and I've been able to, to thrive and do well in those environments. Um, so it's been, it's been quite a ride. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I've been in the travel industry now for 24 years. And when I started, I was a ginger and I'm no longer a ginger, as you can see. Um, but it wasn't by design. What I was focused on was I wanted to work 
with and for good people. And I wanted to do interesting, impactful, fun things. And for some reason that kept me in the travel industry and largely in the fulcrum in, in intermediary type entities. Um, but it's been a really fun ride. Yeah, it's interesting. Now that surprises me knowing you that um, I called two types of people. There are people that run out of a burning building and people that run into a burning building. You're the person who runs into the burning building. Yeah. So speaking of um, our current environment, as you know, um, a significant portion of our industry has been displaced, either, you know, laid off or furloughed more than we've ever seen in, in our careers, especially on a global level. What advice would you give those people that are going through that journey today? Um, and especially with the way that you've pivoted so brilliantly in your career. Yeah, it, it's um, within the travel industry and especially the business travel industry, this is probably the toughest employment situation that we've had since 9-11, uh, perhaps ever. Uh, and it's probably going to be a bit before it gets better again. Um, what we're, you know, the outlook for the industry is not terrific from a near-term perspective. There are many, many companies at all levels that have announced layoffs or are going to be forced to do layoffs. And the consequence of that is that companies are sort of battening down the hatches and doing a lot less hiring than they've ever done. And so if your search is within the travel and the business travel industry, you're going to be going to be competing for a very finite set of spots um, in a market that's going to be turbulent. And that's very challenging. And so uh, what I would tell you is there's, there's almost never a perfect role that has every element that adds up exactly as you would want. And so don't let um, good be the enemy of, uh, or perfect be the enemy of good, excuse me. Um, and by that, I mean that um, find something where you're going to be able to to do something impactful where you can learn, where you can be with good people and you don't have to look at it as a permanent opportunity. You can say, what am I going to do for the next two or three years? And I'll worry about what's going to happen in two or three years when I get there. And so you may, for example, if your career has been within travel, you may want to look in addition to travel, you may want to look at analogous industries. So if you've been in travel distribution, you can look at payments or data, for example, or other B2B services companies, that you would be very well equipped to go and make a positive impact on. Um, you should always leverage your network. And your network is people with whom you have relationships at every level, and you should never be afraid to ask people for help. And the way I've always done that is not to say, hey, Maria, can you help me find a job? But hey, Maria, this is my situation. Can you offer me any counsel? And when you do that and you reach out to people, um, most people are pretty good and want to help. And they will connect the dots and say, oh, maybe I can introduce you to somebody that I know. And you need to run down every single one of those leads. Because what you don't know is which one is going to open the door for you. I think those are all great advice. As a matter of fact, I, I encourage people, it's okay to take a gap job. You know, don't fear it. And also, I love what you're saying about perfection. I always tell people trying to find a perfect job is like trying to find a perfect man. Neither exists. As you know, they're all flawed. So just which of the flaws you can deal with. So I yeah, that, well, that's definitely. very important. Figure out the two or three or four things that really matter to you. What really matters? In principle, and be willing to compromise uh, on some other things. Agreed. The most important thing is to work with and for people that you respect. 
if you can find that, it almost doesn't matter what the industry is, um, as long as it's an ethical industry, I should say. And one that you believe in, one that you're passionate about. So we all know the pace that this had on Swerza, uh, human and financial impact. We all saw it. But as you've gotten to the point you are now, now what are your top three priorities at CWT? Now that you've gotten past what I call the first phase, which was the crisis phase, um, and now that we're into the recovery phase, however, whatever the pace might be. So what are the top priorities now during recovery? Yeah, you know, it's changed a bit because early on and through the first several months of the crisis, a lot of this was protecting the health and safety of our employees and the travelers of our, of our clients. And we're now sort of at the stasis where we're six, seven, eight months into the, into the pandemic. Number one, it is about the retention of our client base. And so while many or most of our clients have severe restrictions on travel and they're traveling far less now than they would normally, it's very important that we wrap our arms around them and we articulate the value proposition and continue to make sure that that there's a sticky relationship with the client as well as with their travelers. Um, two is, and this is very related to the first, is we had done some pretty cool things at CWT pre-pandemic around enhancing our value proposition, really changing the nature of the travel counselor environment and capabilities. Uh, we had done some groundbreaking stuff on data and remit, our platform investment in China, for example. And so it's important that we continue those investments so that as travel begins to recover and we get out of this, we're able to actually strengthen our market position and embed our solutions uh, even stronger with our clients than they were before. Uh, the third thing is that as you, probably as every company in the travel industry is experiencing, what the COVID pandemic has illustrated for us is that there were longstanding ways that we were running our business or going to market and we were making changes on them, but we were making them at perhaps a pace that was comfortable. Mm -hmm. What the pandemic has done is said, you no longer have the luxury of doing anything with comfort. Um, you have to accelerate the pace of innovation and the pace of transformation and change. And so a lot of our practices, our org structure, um, the way we run our bin back offices, our finance function, the way we develop product, we are basically revolutionizing so many parts of the company. And so, you know, I'd say we, we've taken the pause in the volume performance of the, of the industry to focus on, on fundamentally changing uh, the fabric of much of our company. Um, the important thing is that we had a culture really based on innovation, performance, and the customer is to make sure we maintain that as we go through what is a very fundamental change to how we do that. So I would say, and I characterize that as sort of culture and organization um, is pretty substantial in terms of the things that we're doing. Um, but it, it's, it's all around how do we go to market? How do we deliver unique value to our customers and to our travel partners? And we just need to get even better at that than we were before. So you're a brilliant long-term strategist leader, all of those things. And so, and of course, brilliant at articulating everything you're doing, but how do you go through something like this um, and stay sane? Because there's that human component. You know, you're, I know how you are about people. I, I know that side of you, but how are you managing that? How are you not falling apart when you're seeing all these things that here you've built this incredible 
you know, over the last three years, everything at CFT, and all of a sudden, bam. And and in particular, I think the thing is, all these things that you built got derailed, and then also the human side. And I, in particular, that human side is because I know you. Um, how do you manage through that? Because you know, I, I found it difficult, and I didn't have nearly the impact of what you had to deal with every day um, of what you what you were going through. Yeah, look, it, it's a great question, Maria, and I think I. I'd probably be speaking for many people that are in leadership roles in this industry. And the same would be true if you're in restaurants or offline retail or, you know, other industries that have been so impacted. But um, when it starts off and this started off for us, we actually did our global leadership meeting this year in late January in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. We kicked off our new platform there. We had just won Alibaba as a new uh, franchise customer and literally as we're exiting China and, and we're coming back, COVID starts breaking out soon thereafter. And by sort of late February, early March, we realized that um, this was in fact becoming a crisis and a global crisis. And so I think the first thing you feel when you go through that is shock. Because you've been in a world where when, when the board says, talk about contingency planning, you're thinking about a 4% recession. Or you're thinking about uh, a dislocative event that is temporary. You're not thinking about a pandemic, which now, you know, seven, eight months into it, still sees the industry so suppressed in terms of volume as it is today. And so once you get over that, um, there, there's sort of two sides to it. One is you go very, at least I do, and, and with my team, and I'm very fortunate I work with really talented, motivated, smart people, but um, you go into the logical side of this, which is what are the steps we need to do in terms of focusing on our balance sheet, focusing in the operations of the company, uh, what needs to change about our value proposition. And you get sort of laser focused on those things and you simply work yourself to try to get them done. That side of it is actually easy because it's mechanical. The harder side of it is that um, as the leader of the business and you know, is there glamor that goes along with being a CEO? Yeah, you get paid well and you have this title and it's nice and stuff. But when you go into times like this, there's a grave responsibility that comes along with it. And so, you know, for me, confronting the fact that we would have to take steps that would be uh, adverse for so many of our employees who had made us so successful um, was really difficult emotionally. Um, and so for us, that's meant you know, you sort of, it becomes a math challenge in terms of what you have to do, but people aren't math. And people are, you know, in, in inherently very good, you know, good beings and, and they're, they're smart and they're talented and they work hard. So we tried to do things, one, that were um, temporary in nature. So uh, we did furloughs in most countries around the world. Uh, we still have those active in many places. We did temporary pay reductions. Uh, we've gone out with voluntary programs about conversion from full-time to part-time or going on extended leave or voluntarily leaving the company if, if you want to. We've done a very small amount of targeted uh, reductions in force. Um, and I look at that as sort of the last thing you want to do because that's a permanent negative decision uh, between with you and, and your employee. Um, I, I honestly, if I think back on, on the course of the pandemic, I went through probably the first couple of months of the pandemic I'm grieving for the organization. 
Um, and there's not, a, there's not a simple way to say, you know, to say that or think about it. Um, and I tried as much as I could to be um, honest and transparent with everybody in the company um, about the, the challenge that the industry is facing. This is not a CWT problem. This is an industry challenge. Uh, and the focus on this is what we need to get through this. This is what winning is going to look like afterwards and what we need to do to be in position to do that. And we need to bring as many of our folks with us on that journey as possible. Um, but the fact is, there's no company in the travel industry that can bring 100% of its employees on that journey through the full crisis. And so um, I guess I, I faced it being resolute. Um, uh, but I certainly you know, have, have some scars from the experience already. Uh, it, it's, a, it's terrible to tell somebody who has done such a great job for you that you don't have a place for them whether it's temporary or permanent. And, and uh, there's not a lot of fun there. Um, I guess what, what helps is I have a great support system at home uh, with people I know generally in the world. Um, our board and my management team have been uh, rocks. And um, I'm very focused on making sure that we get the business and this industry back on great footing for the long term. And I am, uh, I'm very focused and resolute to make sure that that happens for us and our people. So shifting to the industry itself, um, when life disrupts, um, especially of this magnitude, putting your Houdini head on, what do you think is going to happen as far as you think there's going to be some big mergers and acquisitions out there, which, which verticals you think are primed for it? What do you think is going to happen in order for us to survive this? And, and, you know, who do you think will be standing? Yeah, I think um, if you go back pre-COVID um, and you look at business travel, business travel globally was a mature sector already with lots of players, but it was a consolidating sector. Um, and that's a world where capital was freely available. It was a $1.5 plus trillion dollar industry with good growth dynamics. Um, and, you know, like Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the nose. The industry has been punched in the nose. And so uh, capital is not as freely available. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of companies in the industry that are going to struggle to survive uh, because their balance sheets are not strong enough. Um, and so I think you're naturally going to see failures in consolidation. And that will accelerate, maybe not near term. But in 2021, 2022, I think you're going to see that um, happen pretty, uh, pretty much at scale. The, the other thing is we've been in an industry that has been digitalizing or digitizing and going through a technology transformation. And it's really about delivering, we call it B2B for E, um, business to business for employees, which is akin to B2B to C, except that the consumers are not our consumers, they're the employees of our clients. But we have to bring them effectively a consumer-grade experience with all of the business logic that is required by procurement or the finance professionals that lead those functions. And the old adage of sort of, hey, we're a service provider is wrong. Um, we're providing service within an experience bundle. And so we've got to please the traveler. We've got to please the travel manager operationally. We've got to make sure that we are delivering a productive um, engaged experience for the CFO and the CPO. We've got to make sure on the flip side with hoteliers and car companies and airlines that we're delivering unique value to them. 
And so I think that the folks who survive and thrive in the long term are going to be the folks who can operate uh, as intermediaries, almost e-commerce type capabilities, albeit with a very strong service element. And think about it as maybe a B2B e-commerce company that is the one that emerges and, and survives. I think you're going to see a finite amount of TMCs and technology companies that that come out of this, and you're going to see a far more concentrated industry three, four, five years from now than you saw yesterday. Um, it's all going to be about the ability to deliver a technology-driven but people-oriented value proposition, and to do that at scale. And so, and there's very there's a finite set of of folks in the world who have those capabilities and that capital to be able to solve for that tomorrow. One of the, um, you know, one of the things we focused on a lot pre-COVID was partnerships with startup companies. And we were able to deliver very unique and strong value to customers by doing that. We're gonna to continue to embrace that. But I think that a lot of those early stage startup companies are probably really struggling these days to have enough cash, to raise cash, you're seeing companies be acquired now that were in those uh, in those positions. And so there may be a, a, a period where the innovation from entities like that takes a pause and then picks back up at a point in time. But I think that remains a very important part of the ecosystem. And I want to see that continue to thrive. So I'll be watching that with great interest. But in simple terms, the ability to deliver the next gen set capabilities at scale is what determines the winners and losers. It will be difficult for subscale players without capital to play that game and to do that. You know, speaking of the customers, uh, one of the challenges that faced the TMC and, and some of the OBT models is it was transactionally driven. Mm -hmm. The majority was. So, you know, had it been a fixed or, or, you know, certainly a different commercial model, it wouldn't have had the same level of challenge. It would have been challenged, but not the same level of challenge. Well, and you're known for being a disruptor um, to start with that and some of the products. What do you think is going to net out here? Do you think that model is going to evolve differently and that the corporate customers are going to be open to that like they are with some of their other suppliers? It's a great question. So let's go back to the last 10 years pre-COVID. Right. The experience of, of the TMC sector was seeing movement from management fee or subscription type model mm -hmm. to a transaction fee model and basically seeing the price points commoditized with buyers. And effectively, that's the nature of a mature B2B industry is the competitors compete away to their last dollar of margin in order to get share. It's not rational, but it's the way that markets tend to work. In our case, and, and I, when I joined CWT in 2016, we were certainly in the middle of, of that experience. My perspective was we could not unilaterally change that market practice. We focused very much, therefore, on how do we articulate value differently to clients? How do we begin to win more? And we did, we did much better with that. But then on the flip side is how do we derive much more value from our supplier relationships than we have historically? And so what you saw basically over a period of time is TMC's revenue model shifting to be more balanced between client-driven and supplier-driven revenue sources, away from just being client-driven. Um, and I think that will continue. If you, if you look at consumer travel, for example, it's, it's 
very, very focused on supplier-driven economics, much less so on consumer-driven economics, for example. Um, the question that's been out there, and there's been a lot of conjecture from industry consultants and, and other folks, is with COVID and effectively, you know, seeing volumes go down, for example, during the COVID period, in some cases, 90 or 100 percent, and, you know, TMC is having effectively fixed cost, meaning these pools of people around the world with a transaction model, all of a sudden you're left with cost. We have nothing to pay for it. And is that really aligned with, you know, the experience and the expertise of these people being able to stay on and serve the accounts of our, of our clients? So I'd say we're having conversations with clients and we're exploring a movement away from simply transaction led pricing to a more hybrid approach. Uh, where there's more of a subscription fee element and a transaction fee element and finding the right middle ground. Um, and you can say, we're simply going to flip the switch. Understand we have commercial contracts that are long-term in nature. We can't unilaterally walk into our client and say, by the way, here's your new deal that you have to sign um, because clients have other choices. And so I think that what you'll see is, I think the model will shift back toward a subscription type model over time, but the, the idea of this being a commodity-driven buying experience, that's not gonna go away entirely. Now, what has changed is instead of procurement being the only person sitting at the table making the lowest common denominator decision, I think the HR leaders and the CEOs are much more involved now in, gee, travel is a human capital endeavor, and how do we protect our people and make sure we're delivering a good service for them? And so I think there is an opportunity to differentiate based on technology and service quality and capabilities, and perhaps to reflect that a bit in the economic relationship more than we have been able to recently. So I'm optimistic that the, the commoditization of client fees um, probably will be abated and flattened out here dramatically going forward. Will it, you know, will the effective fee per transaction, will it reverse and be U-shaped? Um, gee, I would love that to be the case. Um, I'm not assuming that that will be that that will happen because while you can look at things on average and on a macro level and say that's rational, when we're getting in to retain a customer or to try to win a new customer and we're in a dogfight with a couple of competitors, which is the case in almost every single circumstance, um, you're only as smart as your dumbest competitor. So that's that's the nature of the market, and so we don't try to lead on price but we compete on price as one of the elements and that's just a market mandate. So again, I think there's, there's a reset and there's an opportunity to change the game here, Maria. Um, but I think what, what's key is you can't just, again, unilaterally change the commercials. You have to, by virtue of having a better value proposition, be able to garner benef economic benefit by virtue of that value proposition to the customer. So that's our real focus. And, and my perspective is, the economics to some degree will take care of themselves if we deliver a strong enough set of value. Well, you know, I love numbers. <laughs> it's my favorite thing in life and I, I get to do it full time, which is uh, literally a dream come true. I get to talk about numbers for a living, not just a byproduct. So, you know, I got to weave it in somehow um, of their show. What trending have you seen as far as, you know, the in the pace of return what have you seen out there? Any interesting facts in the data of what you're seeing from who's recovering, how they're recovering, or behavioral changes or anything like that that you're seeing out there? Um, first of all, so the pace of recovery for travel globally is slow. 
uh, it's even slower for business travel than it is for leisure generally. Um, as you look at the world, um, there are a couple of pockets where the recovery has been much stronger. So China, for example, is very strong. Um, you've seen certain sectors like uh, the energy sector that are doing relatively better. You know, they still have to move crews out to rigs, for example. Um, the recovery is slowest in Western Europe and the United States. Um, and especially where you see higher incidences of, of COVID. Um, you'll tend to see advances and then it sort of falls off if there's a COVID outbreak. Um, much of the recovery from an airline perspective is domestic and not cross-border, certainly not long-haul international. And so I think one of the questions we have or one of the theses is that long-haul international air will come back more slowly than uh, sort of near-haul near international traffic and certainly much slower than domestic traffic. On the hotel side, um, much stronger recovery and sort of drive up properties, one, two, three star properties, luxury properties are filling more slowly. And that makes sense because they're more reliant upon meetings and events, which has been quite suppressed as well as corporate travel, which again is, is happening at a slower pace than leisure. So, um, you know, I think I'm, I'm very optimistic for this industry from a long-term perspective. I think between now and the time that we get a vaccine, it's going to be a little bit of a bumpy ride for, for the business travel industry. But speaking of health in the industry, I think now more than ever, we have to blur the lines of who we work for and what we do to come together to say, what could we do as far as we've talked about helping people, helping customers, helping this is we, you and I sit on rich data, rich information. And what do you think that we could do better to share what we know with the industry to help with the recovery, to blur the lines of who cares what you work for? What do we know and how can we better share that with any of our partners out there to help them recover at a faster pace? It's a great question, Maria. I, I think that the, you know, the medical or health side of this is really the, uh, the tip of the spear in terms of the recovery of the industry. Okay. And we can distribute and communicate information that's out there publicly. We obviously can't take an endorsement position because we're not the medical experts. Yeah. And I think many corporations would say the same thing. Um, there is, I think that the, we talked earlier about the industry having been commoditized over a period of time, much like consumer travel has been commoditized. I think there's going to be a shift back to more value-added services. And if you think about the travel manager and their role now, yes, the procurement element to this remains very important. It always will when you're buying a service for, for a business, but the health and safety, the welfare of the employee is probably job number one for every travel manager in the world and for the chief procurement officer as well. And so any and all data around um, what the rules are on the ability to travel, being able to track people real time, get in touch with them should there be an incident. I think these are things that are permanently going to find their way into the industry. And what you've had to date is that, you know, companies like CWT would have our own spot solutions for these sort of things. I would be a big fan of finding a way to develop industry standard solutions that can be uniformly used by the industry um, because we need things that are going to be sort of pro-competitive and productive for everybody, uh, our clients, suppliers, intermediaries like us. And so I think that sort of data, if there was a way to 
commonize it and make it uh, uniform for everybody would be great. Um, that's not somewhere that we need to seek a competitive advantage. Even if we have the capital to do it and somebody else doesn't, I don't think that's in the best in interest of the industry. So, um, you know, I'm on a few, on the boards of a few industry bodies, uh, WTTC, the US uh, <clears throat> travel, and, travel and Tourism Advisory Board, for example. And we've talked about these sort of things, but figuring out a mechanism, and, and maybe you guys are the right entity to do it, where um, we could have a shared service that's used by key folks in the industry, um, I think that'd be really beneficial. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's time that the walls kind of come down and that we all figure out a way to come together to help each other um, in a way that makes the recovery faster and more effective for all. Because that'll help our, get us our friends uh, back employed and um, so many more benefits. So last question, is there anything I haven't asked you that, um, that you think I should have or that you think would be a good question that would bring insights into all things travel, um, CWT, and the Kurt Eckert? Oh, boy. Um, how about what do I look for in people? Oh, that's a good one. What do I value in people? And when I say value in people, I mean professionally, but it's similar personally as well. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you asked the question about uh, people think about job search, and this would sort of, this is my point of view, and it doesn't mean it's the right point of view. Um, I look for people, obviously, who are innately competent and intellectually talented, and many, many people are. Um, but then it is about um, the ability to get stuff done, which is not something that most people have, and it's, it's a hard thing to judge. And it's about people who operate selflessly and give themselves, submit to the good of the team. And that sounds right, but um, you know, I can tell you, for example, the every executive on my team down several levels um, wears this in space. That's who they are. That that's important to me that we surround ourselves with people like that. So, I just think consummate team players. When you go through an experience like COVID, and it's so dislocated to the industry, you better have people who care about the team first.